You are listening to America's home for stadium news and information. Stadiums USA Radio. Once again, with your ticket to the action, here's Bill Hazen. Here's a stadium bombshell from the Valley of the Sun, where the Arizona Coyotes will leave the beautiful Gila River Arena in suburban Glendale to skate across Phoenix to Tempe, where a new arena will be built for them in the brand new Arizona State University Athletic Facilities District. We'll get the story from SB Nation's Brendan Porter. Remember the architectural drawings of stadiums from years ago? Artist Robert Redding has captured the spirit of these amazing images in new, faithful representations of many of America's great stadiums. He'll tell us how these magnificent drawings are made. If you're a millennial, do the Atlanta Hawks have a deal for you? They're renovating the Phillips Arena in Atlanta specifically to meet your tastes and your needs. SB Nation's Chris Willis will explain what those changes will be. And Stadiums USA's Mark Madoran is back as the NFL prepares to head south to Mexico for a game this weekend. But first, the stadiums beat with Jeff Schmidt. Jeff? Well, all is not well at the home of the 49ers. The city of Santa Clara is threatening to wrestle control of Levi Stadium away from the team. At issue, the spending of taxpayer money on maintaining and operating the venue. Mayor Lisa Gilmore told CBS she is demanding the Niners hand over documentation of operating costs. The public owns the stadium. We hired them to manage for us. They need to provide all the documents that are required by the management agreement. They haven't done that. We're holding them accountable and I guess it's caused a lot of angst within their organization. The Niners have countered saying their organization has been subject to a campaign of misinformation and headline grabbing accusations. They also deny any breach of agreement with the city. Well, Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson has announced he is joining an ownership group led by investor Chris Hansen that is working on building a new arena in Seattle. Even though he grew up in Virginia, Wilson says he's always been a fan of the Seattle Supersonics and players like Sean Kemp and Gary Payton. Arena organizers are hoping to lure the NBA and NHL to the Emerald City. Hansen announced just last month that his group would pay for a new arena with private funds. Well, most of the headlines this week in Los Angeles centered on the Rams changing starting quarterbacks. Jared Goff gets the start this week against Miami. Flying under the radar is news of the groundbreaking ceremony in Inglewood for the new Rams stadium. Owner Stan Kroenke was on hand to help put the shovels in the dirt, the former Hollywood Park racetrack site. 2019, the targeted date for the new 80,000-seat stadium. And staying in California, opponents of a new Golden State Warriors arena in San Francisco were in court this week, trying to block the team from building a new downtown venue. Opponents say an environmental impact study connected with the new arena is flawed. They cite major traffic and noise impacts associated with the venue. The court has 90 days to issue an opinion on the objections raised by opponents. 
Bill, that is the very latest. Thanks, Jeff. Here is a story that literally is hot off the presses, and we're going to talk about it. The NHL's Arizona Coyotes announcing that they have entered into an agreement for a building of a new arena on the campus at Arizona State University. We're going to cross-check this story, if you will. And for that, we're going to turn to Brendan Porter. He is the managing editor of Five for Howling. This is the Coyotes affiliate of SB Nation. Brendan, good to visit with you from Phoenix via digital audio. Boy, this came out of the blue, but actually it's been in the works for a while. Unpack it for us in terms of the specifics, what the plan is, why it came about when the team is already playing in a very nice arena. Sure. Thank you for having me on, Bill. I appreciate being here. A pleasure. This has been in the works for a few years now. It emerged really out of some of the ongoing scuffles between the city of Glendale and Ice Arizona. And the problem was uh, the city of Glendale owns the arena that they play at currently, which, as you you mentioned, is actually relatively new. It was only opened in 2003, so it hasn't been around for very long. Um, but because the city is, uh, is the owner of the arena, they're also the ones that get to dictate the terms of of anybody that plays there or operates the arena itself. Mm-hmm. And a couple of years ago, the city decided that through use of a, a state law that actually, to our knowledge, has never actually been used before in a court case, uh, managed to cancel its ongoing 15-year lease agreement with uh, the Coyotes ownership group. And so given sort of the rocky relationship that the group had had with the city for several years, dating all the way back to 2009 when the team entered bankruptcy protection, you know, the ownership group basically just threw up their hands and said, we're done with this. And so they started looking around and we've known for a little while that it was going to be somewhere in the East Valley. The Coyotes have not been particularly secretive about their desire to move eastward. That's where the bulk of the population is. That's where the the most of the city's fan base lives on the east side of the valley. Mm-hmm. And so this was kind of a logical choice for them to do. The Gila River Arena itself, by all accounts, is a very functional and very nice facility and well-suited, it seems, to the purpose. How has the team been doing in terms of attendance at that facility? Attendance has gone steadily down since they opened it, and part of the problem has been just the team has not been very successful and, you know, you have a far off location with a team that's not particularly playing very well and it's hard to get people in the building. And we saw some uptick in the past few years as ownership has accelerated and the team has taken over by private owners. And actually, more importantly, the team has started competing for playoff spots. They made that run to the Western Conference final in 2012. They had no issues selling out playoff games, but it's the regular season that's been a problem. In particular, it's been weeknights during the beginning of the regular season in October, November, and December before a lot of the snowbirds arrive and before anybody really knows if the Coyotes are a playoff team or what the playoff race is going to look like. And so a move to the East Valley, I think, definitely makes that a little bit easier because if you're trying to convince people to go see a product and a product that might not necessarily be a playoff team, it's a lot easier to do that when it's a 20-minute drive instead of a 40- or 50-minute drive there and back. And so I think that's the thinking is that you can get more people in the building quicker if you're closer. And then as the team gets better, and it certainly will get better if you look at the young talent that they're fielding right now, then you don't need that as much. 
but certainly the location in Glendale has just not been ideal. The fans have not followed there the way that previous owners have been hoping and current owners have been hoping, and attendance kind of reflects that. This city, the city of Phoenix, is just one of the fastest-growing cities in the country, and the metropolitan area itself is filling in, as you mentioned, Tempe and Mesa and all those communities around there. And, of course, they're building arenas all over the place to populate all of this. Just how many arenas do they have, and how how many are they going to need? We're certainly going to be at or, you know, we're maybe we're hitting capacity. Maybe we're already <laughs> over capacity. Um, but certainly the, the massive growth of the valley and really a lot of what we're seeing now, I think you can attribute in some ways to Jerry Colangelo, who was a tremendously important figure in valley sports, bringing the Coyotes down from Winnipeg, really bringing in the Suns as well, getting the Diamondbacks involved and a lot of these things all happened kind of at the same time when you had the Suns basketball facility opening up in the early 90s, followed very shortly after by the Coyotes arriving and playing there, followed very shortly after by the Diamondbacks getting an expansion franchise. And so all these different facilities came in more or less at the same time. And, uh, you know, the, the life of arenas nowadays is just much shorter than it used to be. You know, we're, we're kind of you can see the sort of the last vestiges of it in baseball with Wrigley Field and Fenway Park. And yet even those are now getting some conversations about how long are we going to have these facilities? Can we maintain them? I think it will be a problem. And I think there will be at the end of this whole process, there will be more major facilities, major arenas in the Valley than there are professional teams. And I think that sort of demonstrates the care that needs to be considered, especially by cities, especially by places with large tax bases with other commitments, the care and the thought that really needs to go into how are we financing this? You know, is this something that we can afford? And is, if things go badly, what do we do from there? And I think it'll be very interesting to watch how this unfolds over the next year. Brendan, I want to thank you for the visit and bringing us up to speed on this. It's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. So continued success to you, and let's pass along your blog, which you edit, Five for Howling, the Coyotes affiliate of SB Nation. Congratulations on your success with this blog, and let's see if we can steer a whole bunch of people over to take a look at it. All right, thank you very much. Now, when we return... Turn more of Stadiums USA. It comes your way right here on SB Nation Radio. How would you like to get all of your favorite NBA teams merchandise delivered straight to your doorstep? Check out fanessentials.net. All you do is pick your favorite sports team and every month you get your team's gear shipped right to your door. They find the sports gear so you don't have to. Each fan box comes packed full with amazing gear. It makes a great gift idea for any sports fan. Prices start at just $34.99. Visit fanessentials.net and use promo code STADIUM and check out for 30% off your first month. Visit fanessentials.net to get all of the essentials you need. When I was a boy, like so many sports fans and kids, I had a copy of the baseball yearbook. I'd get a fresh copy every year. My parents would purchase it for me. In that book were fantastic 
images of baseball stadiums, and they were done in a blueprint style, just as if they had been drawn that way by the people who designed and built them. And I would pour over those hour after hour. They evoked something in my imagination. I'm happy to inform you that we're going right back to it. We're going to visit with Robert Redding uh, from San Juan Capistrano, California. Beautiful, beautiful place, and what a beautiful product he has. Images of stadiums and ballparks that evoke wonderful memories from the past, and they come in this blueprint design. You have to be a pretty good artist to do this. Robert, it is great to visit with you. How in the world did you lock into this? And uh, just give us the story behind it. Sure. Uh, Well, I originally started um, making blueprints of dogs, and uh, (laughs) and then cats kind of followed. And uh, it uh, it was an idea that kind of uh, came up and I went on Google and saw there was there was nothing like an animal blueprint. And uh, as I started the animal blueprint company, it was um, kind of took out of the gates as an immediate success. And I was fortunate to find a, a great partner with Uncommon Goods Catalog. Mm-hmm. And back visiting Uncommon Goods, we were just talking about different ideas and passions that we had. And baseball has always been, uh, you know, one of mine. And uh, the idea evolved of what if we did, uh, you know, some of the Major League Baseball stadiums, you know, and the, originally the idea was just to start with the old stadiums, you know, like Ebbets Field and and the old Sportsman's Park and things like that. Um, and so we did a couple of those. And, and then from there, began to do more of the modern stadiums, but kind of keeping that vintage old school feel to the to the artwork itself take us through the process let's start from scratch we're going to do one of these you don't have to give away any military secrets now robert as to how you do this but in general for those who would uh, consider purchasing one and they might like to know how it's actually made there's a lot of work into it that's for sure i mean it it took me almost a year to you know kind of complete most of the major league baseball stadiums uh, what i i do is i try to find aerial photographs and now fortunately we we have the the web and so i'll i'll get two or three different images sometimes they're from espn and the different sports channels to give me sort of a, a direction um and then also close-ups of inside of the stadium and things like that and uh, from there i i you know manually start drawing there's there's no Photoshop tricks, or I'm not taking a, a you know, a, a certain picture and magically outlining, you know, it in, in some program. And I'll just start, uh, slowly start the process of, you know, drawing the stadium. Sometimes it gets a little tricky because I have to use two or three different images to make sure I get the, uh, the angles right and the details correct. You know, from there, uh, after I get that initial drawing done, I have a, uh, I have an actual 1950s blueprint of, uh, of a house. And through now our, our technology, through the uh, the process of Photoshop, I actually took the house off but kept the blue paper. And uh, from there, I take the drawing into my computer and then place it, you know, onto that blueprint paper that, you know, now is well over 50 years ago it was made and to give it that that original authentic background that, that I wanted it to have. So 
So that's, you know, like I say, it's it's pretty time consuming process, but uh, I love the outcome. You know, just recently, and you would know this growing up in St. Louis, that great rivalry between the Cardinals and the Cubs through the years has been a wonderful rivalry. And I would imagine, even though Cardinal fans are probably a little disappointed that they didn't get to the World Series and win this year, as they have so many others, they probably have a little bit of a smile to see the Cubs end 108 years of futility. And I wonder if Cubs fans are getting fully aware of uh, perhaps some offerings you have that might be of interest to them. Yeah, I, I, I certainly hope so. I know Uncommon Goods catalog that we sell through everything. Um, I did a special version, obviously 108 years. This was an extraordinary event. And not only that, the way it was won, extra innings, you know, rain delayed game. I mean, you couldn't have scripted it more dramatically. And uh, so we immediately, or I, I should say, I immediately changed the the, the print to, to, to get it, including that the Cubs are now the 2016 world champions and also including uh, some of the details of the World Series in the in the print itself, and uh, shot it off a couple days after the World Series and Major League Baseball has approved it, and you know which is a big part of the process. And uh, so we're we're off, and uh, I definitely have noticed there's some Cub fans finding it. So I, I hope everybody can. And of course, Wrigley Field is in its own right a very fascinating ballpark. I would think that the drawings which you have probably capture that quite well. What were your impressions as you went ahead and and built the drawing of Wrigley Field? Well, obviously I wanted to somehow render the ivy on the wall. I went through about three or four versions because, you know, it's with the scale, it's not like I could draw each individual leaf. And uh, so I, I spent quite a bit of time trying to create a pattern that replicated the, you know, the ivy on the wall. And Wrigley, is is one of the most popular stadiums that that I have done. Um, you know, it's obviously Fenway and Yankee Stadium are up there too, and and uh, you know Dodger Stadium out here for me, you know, is a popular one. But that was the big key. I wanted to capture that character and flavor of the stadium. And so when you you look in and you see the field, you 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 can see this pattern on on the the drawing that represents the ivy because that's a big thing. You know, I do also remember from my youth that the NFL had a similar book with a lot of their stadiums and the NBA. And of course, I broadcast in the NBA for years, and some of the really spectacular drawings of indoor arenas. Do you have any plans along those lines to uh, submerge yourself in that kind of work? I do, um, and certainly nothing against the NFL, but um, I'm just a little too small time for them. They haven't granted me, uh, and I've been trying for several years now, the opportunity to do the NFL stadiums. But mm. because of the license arrangement, I have to uh, I have to do it, obviously, in a legal way. I have added um, college basketball uh, arenas on, on my website, Stadium Blueprint Company. Now you can see the college football stadiums and the college basketball arenas. In fact, I just uploaded Maryland and Kentucky today. And I did do it, what you said, from an interior view. Um, so it's sort of like you're sitting at half court, maybe halfway up in the stands, and you see the scoreboard and everything like that. So I'm, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I would love to do the NBA and uh, as much as, uh, as anything. And, and who knows, maybe one day I'll get a break with the NFL. 
Well, Robert, congratulations on this. And once again, for those who might be interested in checking this out, and I can't imagine who wouldn't be, uh, where do they go to uh, sample what you have and learn more about the product? Yes, if you, if you just go to stadiumblueprintcompany.com, and uh, and there I have a link that uh, because of my license arrangement with Major League Baseball, mm-hmm. uh, those are all sold through the Uncommon Goods catalog. And the Uncommon Goods catalog also carries the, the colleges that I do. And a, a new a new addition to the college things is I I received a couple emails from Ohio State fans telling me they could not buy a blueprint because that was Michigan's colors. And so <laughs> I, I went back now and reworked the colleges into school color versions. Robert Redding, we thank you. Continued success, Robert. Thank you very much. Now, when we return, we'll talk shop. Mark Madoran standing by right here on SB Nation Radio. How would you like to get all of your favorite NBA team's merchandise delivered straight to your doorstep? Check out fanessentials.net. All you do is pick your favorite sports team, and every month you get your team's gear shipped right to your door. They find the sports gear so you don't have to. Each fan box comes packed full with amazing gear. It makes a great gift idea for any sports fan. Prices start at just $34.99. Visit fanessentials.net and use promo code STADIUM and check out for 30% off your first month. Visit fanessentials.net to get all of the essentials you need. We're going to have fun this week. Time to talk shop once again. And Mark Madoran, president and creator of the Stadiums USA website, is back. We remind you, Stadiums USA is the preeminent source for stadium information. Check out stadiumsusa.com. Mark joins us from Orlando. Mark, the NFL heads south of the border on Monday, way south. They're headed to Mexico City, the Raiders and Texans battling at Estadio Azteca. That's the big stadium. This game requires a bit more heavy lifting for the league as they're teaching the fan base about how the NFL game day experience works. What's the story? Well, it should be really interesting, and I'd love to be there. I'm sorry I'm missing the event, but it's already sold out, Bill, so there are no tickets available. Really? And from what they tell us with the size of the crowd, plan to arrive early. You need to get to the stadium a good couple hours in advance, but there's plenty to do once you get there. They have a whole bunch of activities outside the stadium, including something they call the training camp experience, where you get to run through uh, tires and do knee experiences. <laughs> There's one called quarterback skills. There is a, a Mexican band on the East Plaza that's going to entertain people. What I understand, dozens of food trucks, which is very popular in Mexico City. If you get there early, you're going to have plenty to do. It's going to be a great deal of fun. Now, Mexican fans have not seen live NFL football for a while, but there is a, a broadcast down there every week. As a matter of fact, they get nine live games a week on Mexican television. Mm. And uh, they are familiar with the NFL. And the Raiders actually is considered one of their favorite teams in Mexico City. So uh, this should be uh, more or less a home crowd for them. The last time they had a game in Mexico City was 11 years ago. And the NFL is looking seriously at internationalizing the game. As we know, they've done London very well. But 
Mexico City is back on the list of potentials of where we can expand to. The um, ratings are uh, exceptionally good for Mexico, and so they think that's going to help out. Uh, by the way, there are 15 teams within a four-hour flight of Mexico City. Mm. So it's a lot easier uh, from the uh, travel uh, aspect than London is. London is a, a very long trip for most NFL teams. Uh, this is much, much closer. So we don't know where the NFL is going with this, but we know this one should be really, really fun. And it's going to be a great experience. Mark, Pete Carroll had some interesting comments after a recent NFL game at New England. And uh, we don't usually hear too much about stadium atmosphere, that type of thing. But boy, Pete Carroll went right after it. This followed the Seahawks win last weekend over the Pats. And uh, let's unpack what Mr. Carroll had to say about Pats fans and the stadium experience there well he was very outspoken his exact words were this is not a great place <laughs> he ripped the patriots fans for a lackluster showing he said there was no enthusiasm now on the other side he did compliment the facility he said it's a gorgeous setting a beautiful arena his words were it's a very classy place to play but everything pete carroll says about the patriots remember you have to take all that with a grain of salt there are some hard feelings there <laughs> he was the patriots head coach from 97 to 99, and he didn't leave on his own accord. They asked him if he'd like to find another job. Yeah. So I have a feeling there's a few hard feelings that went into that decision. So. <laughs> now, well, in regard to his comments, a few others have chipped in, including Steve Buckley from the Boston Herald, and says that the Gillette Stadium is totally lacking in passion and spirit. And he said the noise levels are very low. Steve Buckley actually said, uh, I've been to book readings that were more raucous than that. <laughs> well, well, so Pete Carroll was not the only one to rip the fans in New England. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's tough. That's a tough critique right there. Mark, the never-ending stadium question has actually still not been answered in San Diego. Voters, of course, turned down stadium measures on election day and we're keeping a close eye on that situation chargers owner dean spanos met with the san diego mayor mayor falconer last week what came of that well dean spanos is a very patient man <laughs> he has been attempting to get a new stadium in san diego for the chargers probably for 15 years i suspect his patience may have run out and that he may be looking elsewhere right now. Uh, but on Tuesday, Spanos did keep the door open in San Diego as he and the Chargers representatives met with San Diego Mayor Falconer. Mm -hmm. And we have no idea what they discussed. After the meeting, they came out with no public statements. I think they're trying to put something together. The city does want to retain the Chargers, and there is a really good fan base there, but the vote was very, very weak. They didn't even get a regular majority. They only got 43% in favor of the plan. And the plan didn't increase taxes on locals. It had to do more with hotel rooms and visitors than it had to do with locals in city. So that was a pretty weak showing. I think there's going to be a tough time putting something together. Now, we know Spanos can go up the road. He can go to L.A. and join the facilities there. But we don't know what other options he might have besides that. So... We'll just have to wait and see. But uh, I wish him luck. Uh, on a personal note, 
I love San Diego as the home of the Chargers, and I really hope they get it done there. Yeah, and San Diegans have some additional bad news, Mark. This week, the shovels hit the dirt for Kroenke World. Of course, that's the stadium that we've discussed many times in Englewood. Construction is beginning on this stadium, and of course, we've discussed this stadium probably as much as any other. Let's discuss it some more. It's hard to wrap your head around this, but it's $2.6 billion. Yikes. The stadium is just one part of a larger real estate development constructed on 298 acres, which was the previous site of Hollywood Park Racetrack. Mm -hmm. The new stadium is a 70,000-seat football stadium, completely under roof, but it's under a clear roof that's supposed to be like a uh, a windshield of a car, that, that kind of clarity. Mm-hmm. Um, there is also another 6,000-seat performance venue built under the same roof in some way. Uh, the structure is sunk 100 feet underground, and that will keep the overall height of the facility down due to FAA regulations. The stadium is quite near to the L.A. International Airport. As a side note, I read this week that the FAA has not green-lighted the project as of yet. Really? They have not green-lighted this yet. So we'll have to wait and see what happens there in Inglewood, but I think it's probably just a matter of a rubber stamp. It'll eventually get done. But um, it was interesting to to note that the FAA still hasn't approved of the construction in Inglewood. I have a quiz question from our Stadium's USA website. Okay, Bill, here we go. All right. Of the following NBA arenas... Which one was never a home arena for Hall of Famer Pete Maravich? This obviously requires you to recall Maravich's career and the teams he played for. (laughs) Which one of these? Boston Garden, Louisiana Superdome, the Omni in Atlanta, or the St. Louis Arena? Well, the question for me would be whether the St. Louis Hawks were still there before going to Atlanta in Pete Maravich's rookie year. And I don't know the answer to that, Mark. So I (laughs) am going to guess uh, Boston Garden's out, the Omni's out. Okay. Uh, I'm thinking that it's the Louisiana Superdome. An excellent guess. (laughs) Good reasoning, but incorrect. (laughs) (laughs) The St. Louis Arena. By the time Pete Maravich uh, joined the Hawks, they had moved from St. Louis to Atlanta. So Hmm. he uh, missed the St. Louis Arena. All right. I knew it was right on the end of that. And, of course, the St. Louis Arena, many of us used to know as the Checker Dome. You remember those days? I remember those days when it was called that. (laughs) All right. Well, very good, Mark. Enjoyed it. Great to hear your voice again. We'll see you next week. Enjoy college football this weekend. Ryan Field. Northwestern University, Evanston, Illinois. And drive safely on your way home as we always <laughs> remind everybody. Very good, Mark. Coming up, changes are on the way for Phillips Arena in Atlanta. Very interesting story. That's the home of the Atlanta Hawks, and they're catering to millennials. We'll dive into it next, right here on SB Nation Radio. There are renovations planned for the Phillips Arena. We've reported on it initially, but now we're going to dig into it and go to Atlanta and find out all about it. The goal for this is a comfortable social environment 
for millennials. And we're going to talk about that with Chris Willis, a reporter for SB Nation's Atlanta Hawks site known as Peachtree Hoops and the Atlanta Braves site as well. And Chris, great to have you with us. And there's a lot of buzz about the Phillips Arena, what's going to be done with this facility in Atlanta. Take us through the nuts and bolts of it. What are the changes going to be? Uh, you know, it's still in the beginning stages. Uh, I, I've seen some of the renderings. Uh, but the biggest thing that set apart Phillips Arena from a lot of the other uh, arenas around the league, the bank of uh, suites that made up one side of it. And it's my understanding that uh, those are, are going to be going away in a lot in some capacity. Uh, I think they're going to get spread out more through the arena. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the transformations uh, got to focus on um, uh, accessibility. Uh, it's going to make some areas that were uh, unaccessible, inaccessible, uh, you know, more friendly for uh, patrons. So it's interesting because Phillips Arena was built as a multi-use center. Uh, the hockey team's no longer there. Uh, so, you know, is, this is going to be the way they've described it, you know, a modernization of the of the existing arena, uh, just to catch it up uh, to some of the areas around the league, other arenas around the league. So, you know, it, it's going to be interesting. It's I, I'm really looking forward to, uh, you know, seeing what it looks like when it's finished. As you know, Chris, they tried a different idea with this arena. Actually, the basic arena is quite nice from all accounts, but the idea was to put all of the skyboxes on one side and stack them and then have fan seating the rest of the way around. That has not been done since. What was wrong with that idea? I don't know that there was anything just terribly wrong about it. I, some of the complaints I've seen that if, uh, you know, if let's say if you park on one side of the arena, and you're actually sit on the other side, you may have to walk back uh, all the way around the other side uh, to get back out to where you need to be. Uh, And I think the way those uh, boxes were built uh, played a big part in that. Uh, You know, for season ticket holders, that that area in there is pretty warded off to your general patrons, uh, you know, general admission uh, uh, ticket uh, goers. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's interesting. Um, really, I mean, I think it's a nice arena. Uh, you know, my first trip to Atlanta to see the Hawks was in the old Omni. And, I mean, it was a huge upgrade over that. I still like Phillips Arena. But in, in this time and day, you know, it's not unusual to see this type of thing uh, taking place. The team CEO, who is a former TBS guy, and of course Turner is based in Atlanta, as many of us know, uh, he is marketing this as a millennial-specific upgrade. Why do that? Oh, that's a good question. I saw that, and I thought it was a uh, you know an interesting uh, you know an interesting take. From a guy like Steve Coonan, who's uh, you know been just brilliant uh, since he's taken over as CEO for the Hawks, I thought I think he's been behind a lot of the way their uh, their image has changed over the last couple of years. Of course, they had an abs- had a very unfortunate incident that you know kind of soured their place in Atlanta a little bit. He's navigated them out of that, and I think this is you know this is still just part of that. I think he's, um, you know, he sees it as people that might not want to go just sit in the seat. They want to, they want to grab a bite to eat. They want to, they want to uh, hang out on the walkway. 
or, or something and, and also catch the game. And, uh, you know, and I think in today's times, it's really important to kind of cater to, uh, you know, a variety of, of different kinds of fans. Not everybody consumes the sport the same way. Uh, and I think the Hawks are trying to get to the front of that. It's going to be really interesting to see if they're successful because, you know, they, they've historically been in the bottom third of attendance in Atlanta. And um, I think, you know, these changes are designed to, you know, to help with that. You know, I broadcast in the NBA for many years. We went into Atlanta quite a bit. And in my mind, they had a very soft fan base there. But it's a different feel in the arena than you get at most places. The fans don't seem to get that excited. I don't know how else to put it, except to say that the fan base seems very soft. Whatever that means to you, take it from there. Am I right, or or have things changed a little bit? We've seen it change. I've seen Phillips Arena be very, very loud, very, very pro Hawks, especially in the playoffs. You know, and the sixty win season from two seasons ago. You know, that was very much the case. But we've also seen a situation where, let's say, the Lakers come to town, or even the Celtics come to town, and there's a lot of uh, of Los Angeles fans that show up. There are a lot of Boston fans that show up. You know, Atlanta, as you know, is a transient city. There's a lot of uh, a lot of uh, people that have moved in into the area. I think Atlanta is a basketball town more than it's given credit. You know, they haven't always just been there as Hawks fans to pull for the local team. So I think they're battling that. And one thing, the Hawks have been really mindful of that. They don't like it when there's loud cheers for Kobe Bryant or uh, uh, Derrick Rose or MVP chance breakout for, you know, other uh, other teams. And I, I've seen that happen, but not as much in, in recent years. And I think the Hawks are gaining some ground there. Chris, we want to wish you well, continued success with your writing, and let's encourage everybody to drop by and visit Peachtree Hoops through SB Nation's blog site. Thanks for the visit, Chris, and continued success. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate you having me. It is a pleasure. Chris Willis of SB Nation, a longtime reporter on the Hawks and the Braves. That's our program for this week. Bill Hazen saying we hope you enjoyed it. Join us again next week for Stadiums USA on Blog Talk Radio.